Welcome to Studio Tulsa. I'm Rich Fisher. For over 100 years, an Alabama doctor, Dr. J. Marion Sims, was hailed as the father of gynecology for his work in developing a surgical cure for obstetric fistulas caused by blockages during extended childbirth labor. In fact, he was one of the first celebrity surgeons of the 19th century. But in fact, his surgical solutions were discarded within five years of his first published writings. They didn't work. And how he came to his, quote, cures, unquote, was even more heinous. He performed experimental surgery on black slave women without consent, without anesthesia, for fistulas and several other ailments. He also did it without proper non-human trials in preparation. Many of the women are unknown, but three are Lucy, Betsy, and the first purported cure, Anarka. Spoiler alert, well, she wasn't cured. In fact, Anarka ended up being an assistant in her, his lab, treating other women and nursing others during epidemics in Montgomery. My guest, J.C. Hallman, set out to tell the story of Anarka, who he discovered died in 1869 and was a known healer and midwife, and, as he says, to prosecute Sims for his highly unethical and medically dubious work. His book is titled Say Anarcha, A Young Woman, a Devious Surgeon, and the Harrowing Birth of Modern Women's Health. It's published by Henry Holt. J.C. Hallman is an author and journalist, the author of six books, including Bee and Me, the story of his literary relationship with Nicholson Baker. His work has appeared in Harper's, GQ, and The New Republic. And he's my guest today on Studio Tulsa. J.C. Hallman, welcome back to Studio Tulsa. Thanks very much for joining us. Sure. Thanks a lot for having me, Rich. The title of your book comes from a series of protests that occurred uh, at a statue site in Manhattan. It was occurring at, at about the same time we were rightly reevaluating statues of the Confederacy in the South. And so maybe it didn't get as much publicity nationwide, although it was very uh, important protest in Manhattan. And it was held at the site of Dr. J. Marion Sims, who was hailed as the father of gynecology. And your book's title, Say Anarcha, was first a slogan of protest against his highly unethical and really barbarous behavior using uh, female slave women in Alabama as test subjects. But you soon discovered a lot more about the story. What led you to this story? Well, I actually came to the story in the back door, you know, so I actually heard about... So the con the condition that, that Sims was ostensibly attempting to cure in Anarka and two other women whose names are known, Lucy and Betsy, and approximately seven other enslaved women in Montgomery, Alabama from 1846 to 1849, uh, they had a condition known as obstetric fistula, which is an absolutely horrific condition. It's been largely eradicated uh, in the West, not as a result of Sims' clinical advances, of which there are very few, but more as the result of the um, availability of, of safe uh, cesarean section. And so it's eradicated in, in the West, but it continues as, an, as a major crisis in the developing world and particularly across Africa. And so I heard about that first. And I just stumbled across the term vesicovaginal fistula. And um, I was researching that and moved back in the story to hearing about Sims and Anarka and realized that this major international health story, fistula in Africa, was connected to this story in America, you know, that, that all of this story in Africa traced back to the history of this young 
enslaved woman in Alabama. And what I found when I started digging into it, I read Sim's autobiography and his existing biography and some other materials that had been uh, written about him. What became clear was that no one had actually gone looking to see if Anarka, who was the most consequential of these experimental subjects, could be found. People were already putting her in the same sentence with Henrietta Lacks and, um, and, and others who, who um, you know, stand as a kind of symbol of you know, medical racism that is, mm -hmm. is an ongoing problem today. And yet no one had actually gone looking for her. The only source that anyone had about this young woman was this guy, Sims. And even though he was hailed as this, you know, important medical pioneer, nobody trusted him, not even his champions. <laughs> and, and, you know, there was one, one of his champions actually described him as an unadulterated jerk. And, and so when your friends are saying that about you, you know, it's, right. it's uh, so, so it was, it was odd that, you know, we were talking about this woman and yet he was the only source. And so kind of on a flyer, I went to Alabama to follow up on the few hints there were um, about where Anarka had come from. And, and, I, and I found the first evidence of her. Then I found more evidence of her in New York City and, and realized, well, the accepted narrative, the official history was complete fiction and that there was a different story to be told. And at that point, I was off to the races. Yeah. Uh, you opened the book in Finding Her Grave, where I guess she died uh, after the Civil War, uh, married in uh, rural Virginia. Right, yeah. She lived uh, you know, a few years after emancipation, and she uh, was married. She considered herself to be married. I tried to find official marriage records. And and didn't uh, couldn't I found I, there wasn't anything cohabitation and, and records the, yeah, or and, church records there was right. but you know on her death record uh, it does say that her husband was a man named Lorenzo Jackson and um, in in Arca I was able to determine after months of digging in lots of different probate offices and private manuscript collections and you know over the course of her lifetime she had ten pregnancies that came to term. There were four living children with her um, when she died, and she wound up in a place called King George, Virginia. And just through an amazing set of coincidences and, and being on the ground talking to the right people who had made dedicated their who had dedicated their lives to primary source materials, learned that there was this gravestone out in the middle of the Virginia woods all by itself. And I found someone to take me out there. And there it was, her name on a stone. And, and so it was, you know, the research for this book was a whole series of needle in a haystack <laughs> moments, you know. And, and I, I mean, I have, I have a whole collection of needles. <laughs> and, but this was, this was the, by far the biggest one. And, um, and it stood as evidence to me that no matter how fractured and flawed our established history can be, there is a way to find out what really happened, to excavate that real truth if you, if you work hard enough and search long enough. And what's known is after she left Alabama, eventually I think ended up in Virginia, yeah. she was known as a healer of some sort. 
Yeah, I mean, I think when, you know, the, the, as I as I said, when, you know, when when Sims was the only voice about who she was and what she was, there there wasn't anything known about her. But she what, was a subject test subject, and he quote healed her, which is yeah. probably not right. Yeah, I mean, that was another thing I I, I discovered was that the so called first cure of the father of gynecology was not in fact cured ever. And, but I did, was able to establish that before, during, and after the experiments in Alabama, Anarka was working as a a healer, a kind of plantation doctor, um, as a midwife. And, um, and so she was much more than um, you know, just a name that was part of this famous guy's legacy. Right. And it's obvious that even though Dr. Sims would never refer to her as a nurse, she was at the very least nursing. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, and, 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 more than, and more than that, really. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, the, the, the contribution of the medicines that the enslaved population were contributing, the extent to which white physicians, particularly in the South, were mining that work for what they could incorporate in what we now call traditional medicine, uh, you know, is is uh, an important untold story. And, and, um, and Anarka was certainly versed in a lot of that. Well, certainly finding Anarka and finding some historical remnants of her story, which for a slave recently emancipated and then dying very quickly... You don't have the census records as good as you probably would like. You certainly don't have any sort of first-person accounts of her. The next step was try to gain some understanding of what her life was like in its entirety. And you write in the book, the first half of the book is sort of this, quote, speculative history of Anarka. How did you go about putting this together? Well, you know, so so Anarka's story is really created out of out of sort of two veins. You know, the first was all of the primary sources. You mm-hmm. know, this is you know my book is is a it, it you know people say it reads like a novel. I intended that. I thought there was a lot of aspects to this story that you, you really needed to feel and experience rather than just hear about. It was better presented as scenes and characters than as data. Um, and so, you know, as a creative writer, I was well prepared to approach the story in that way. But this is also the case where the creative writer is actually doing all of that primary source digging, which you normally associate with scholarship. And so Anarka's story then is built out of that search for the archival documents that showed what had happened to her, you know, and that's finding references to her in, in letters. And sometimes with characterizations of her, you know, that are, you kind of have to read between the lines a little bit, you know, because it's not, it's not as though these people are actually attempting to characterize her, but they're saying things about her that are suggestive of the kind of person that she was. And so I had this sort of archival skeleton of, you know, being able to figure out where she went um, and, and, and what she was doing. But it was that, it was incomplete, or it was, it wasn't something that felt human and present in the way that I wanted it to. And, and so while acknowledging that what I was providing was a version of Anarka that was simply um, an improvement on 
the very fictional version that appeared in Sims' work <laughs> right. and which stood as objective history. So while like, acknowledging that I was improving on that, what I was doing was I was taking material from the slave narratives, which are the, the from F, from FDR's Works Progress Administration. They had they had this campaign to to interview formerly enslaved people all across the South. At this the point, 1940s. they're very elderly. Yes, and they're remembering their memories, which right. are the some of the memories that stick the longest. Yeah, and there are thousands of these interviews, and those were published in about. 55 books worth of material and I read them all you know it's wow yeah it took a year and um uh, and it was one of the most profound reading experiences of my life and the people who created those narratives they were intending them as primary source material they wanted them to be used by historians and by creative writers and so to fill out an arca story I was bringing in other facts, these facts, the facts from the narratives of the, of the formerly enslaved people, and using that to characterize her experience at different stages. And, and so the version, you know, they called, they called those, those interviews, oral histories, they called them a composite autobiography. Right. And, and so the Anarcha that I created was an attempt to fulfill the goals of that project and and to use those narratives to create an Arca story in a way that did honor to her, but also recognize that she's a symbol of not only of, of herself, of, of the, the women and the young girls, really the teenagers, the young enslaved teenagers that she suffered alongside of the countless other women who were experimented on by other physicians, not even just by Sims. And and of of you know the the many women who continue to suffer from this particular condition obstetric fistula in Africa and the developing world today. Hmm. My guest today is J.C. Hallman. He's an author and journalist, author of B and Me. His latest book is titled "Say Anarcha." It's published by Henry Holt, and he's my guest today on Studio Tulsa. And it's an amazing story of Anarcha. This. Uh, black slave who was experimented on and then worked in the clinic of Dr. Marion Sims, who was uh, seriously highly unethical and barbarous in his behavior of medical experiments on uh, female slave women in the 1840s. Take me back to the primary sources, if you would, that gave you a sense that Anarka was not just a lab assistant after her experiment, what was it that told you that she was a healer of in her own right? Right. So before I, I address that, let me let me say that that you know one of the things that really surprised me when I started researching this and digging into these primary sources and going to probate offices and stuff, that work sounds like it's boring, right? <laughs> but it's really not. It is so exciting. I felt I was out there in the world driving around talking to people. It was like a treasure hunt. And I, I felt like, you know, every, you know, at every every juncture, I was finding needles and haystacks about Anarka's life, and I, and I wound up with this whole collection of needles, and it was so exciting. And I've tried to to tell the story in a way that contains some of that, but I also wound up creating um, an online archive of materials 
that where people can go and look at what I was finding, all these primary sources. And that's at anarcharchive.com. Mm. And there's a YouTube channel dedicated to those sources as well, which is also called the Anarcha Archive. And people can go online and find that. And you, I'm sure you ran into dozens of people like the woman you describe at the very beginning of the book when you were looking for the gravesite, yeah. who knew everything about her county in Virginia. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, you, you know, the online ancestry uh, yeah. or genealogical sites, right. you know, so ancestry, family search, people have gotten really excited about this. And, 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 it's, and it's great. People do enjoy you know, it. It is kind of like a treasure hunt even when you're but looking at it. the repositories there. are women and, and men like that person, you know. Who, right. Oh, who, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's in the, what, what you realize when you start going out into the world is, is that what's available online is a tiny fraction of what's actually out there and that there is no substitute for being in a town and just starting to ask questions who knows this? Because invariably you're going to get pointed to the person who is the caretaker, you know, of the history of this particular place. And I just, I, th that made me so happy to be out in the field, as it were, you know, and, and, um, and finding those sources and, and beginning to piece together an Arca story. But to, to get back to your question. So one of the things that I found was a series of letters from Sims to a guy named Jarvis. And, and this was happening in, in 1847, right in the middle of the period of the, the, the fistula experiments, as they're known, the Alabama fistula experiments. Mm -hmm. And what had happened was this guy Jarvis, he was from Connecticut, he went to New Orleans, he got ship fever, typhoid, and he wound up coming to Montgomery and he wound up in Sims Care, staying in a hotel in Montgomery called Montgomery Hall. And while he was there, Sims was writing to his family back in Connecticut and then eventually to Jarvis himself after Jarvis got better and was traveling home. They actually went on to be lifelong friends. But, but in these letters, uh, Sims describes the young enslaved woman who is caring for Jarvis and how he, he feels that she is the kindest and best nurse he's ever, he's ever experienced. And then in a later letter, we get a little bit more about that. And then after Jarvis gets better and leaves, there's an epidemic outbreak in Montgomery and Sims is writing to Jarvis about all these others who are sick. And he's referring to um, this one guy named King and he, and he says, you know, King is sick, but Anarka, our Anarka is caring for him so you may feel easy about his recovery. And this was the only time that Anarka's name ever appeared in Sims' own handwriting. And he underscored this. The Our Anarcha is underscored mm. in his own handwriting. So you can start to feel her presence in a way through through some of those sources. But and, like I said, you do have to read between the lines a little and bit. And you see this dichotomy between private thoughts and what he put out professionally. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is, you know, you discount women entirely, right. but certainly an enslaved woman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think, so, and so there were, there were just lots and lots of, of moments like that. But that was one that really demonstrated that Anarka was working as a nurse during the period of the experiments themselves. And I believe that, that what Sim says there indicates that she's also, uh, as a young girl, that she had cared for, for Sims when he had malaria uh, about 10 years prior to the experiments. And, and and so, you know, you, you find these different pieces in the different um, materials 
and and you know, a narrative starts to emerge. You know, it's very much the way a prosecutor works. When prosecuting a when prosecuting a crime, you have all this evidence, and then the narrative emerges out of that, and then that's what you present to the jury, yeah. right? And and so, um, you know, in a lot of ways, particularly with Sims' story, what I felt like I was doing was was prosecuting the case against Sims, and <laughs> and um, but uh, that the finding of the evidence, it had. You know, I said it was like a treasure hunt, but it's also like being a detective. And I tried to invest both the book and the materials that I put online with some of that excitement. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, Marion Sims. Uh, he became one of the first celebrity surgeons out of this research, really. He went to Europe and treated people. Yet this technique that he had didn't work. And even within like a decade or two, people were saying, don't do this. It, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. This makes things worse. Yeah. And yet he had this reputation, even among the people that it was the supporters, they, they, they realized, oh, yeah, it doesn't work, but, you know, yeah, he's, he's the father of gynecology. Explain this mentality. Well, you know, so when Sims died, there was a whole host of things that they thought he was going to be remembered for his you know, incision of the cervical canal, a, a, a surgery for a condition called vaginismus. Um, he had done, you know, a, invented a surgery for, for infant lockjaw, which is just tetanus. He was right. performing surgery for, for people suffering from tetanus. It was babies and enslaved babies dying of, of lockjaw, and he was trying to perform surgery on them. And, and, but when he died, they thought that was going to be his legacy. In very short order, though, the vast majority of what he did um, was either debunked or was shown to have been the work of others. Um, and yet, and for, for, for other reasons, and we can go into that, his, his legacy continued to survive, that his, his celebrity was just a kind of an intoxicant for American doctors in, in particular. And even though his greatest critics were his assistants, were the doctors who were looking over his shoulder as he worked, and even though very prominent physicians, you know, former presidents of, of the AMA were critical of Sims, who himself served a term as president of the AMA. His, his legacy just, just survived. And um, it, even until recently, the argument that he was the doctor who cured this condition, obstetric fistula, that was just out there until within the last few years. In, in, and even just with the publication of my book, the fact that his clinical solution, uh, the, the cure that he claimed on Anarka in 1849, that that procedure was abandoned just seven years later, just four years after he published it, was completely overlooked. Nobody was talking mm. about it. And, and so, you know, what you'll see if you go looking for this guy online is you'll see many, many claims that he was the doctor who cured fistula or that he was the doctor who introduced silver sutures to surgery or, or various other things. You know, the Sims, what it's called the Sims speculum or the Sims position. And what my work did, this forensic digging into this history, prosecuting the case against Sims, what I, what I was able to reveal was that all of it was wrong. It was all wrong. It's hard to believe, but it was, it's true. You know, and that's why I, I took such pains to document what I, was, what I was writing so exhaustively that online archive has 5,000 citations. <laughs> and, and so, uh, so yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know his, his legacy survived even though 
every aspect of what was claimed about him turns out to be false. My guest today is J.C. Hallman, author and journalist. His latest book is titled Say Anarcha. It's published by Henry Holt. And uh, in our last couple of minutes, and I want to warn folks that we might talk, we're going to talk about the actual experimentation, which is could be triggering to some folks. So we'll just mention this. So tell us about his actual work there in Montgomery. He was using female slaves that apparently had fistulas. He was undergoing surgeries with them, no anesthesia, and no consent. He was just operating on them and and trying to find a, a technique that would work. Yeah, experimenting. Experimenting for the purpose, you know, literally using the bodies of enslaved people to try to perfect a cure that he could then charge wealthy white people for, right? That was the goal. It was one of the things that he was um, borrowing from the kind of business plan of quack cancer surgeons, you know, that, that, that would provide free surgeries for, you know, for, for poor people and then advertise those heavily and then, and then charge handsomely when, the, when they were offering those services to a person of means. Sims was emulating that, that business strategy. And, and so, you know, the narrative about Sims for a long time was that he was experimenting on Anarcha Betsy to try to, uh, you know, restore their womanhood. You know, a, a fistula, for, for listeners who don't know, is a hole. And it is a hole between two hollow bodies inside of the body. And so in the case of vesicovaginal fistula, it is a hole that opens between the bladder and the vagina resulting in a perpetual leak of urine from the vagina. Um, fistulas can result in other ways. You can have a rectovaginal fistula, which is um, a, a hole, as, it, as is suggested, from, from the rectum to the vagina. Anarka actually had both. She mm. had one vesicovaginal fistula and one rectovaginal fistula. So her condition was, was particularly horrific. And, you know, and, and Sim's goal in this, he, he, he sort of got credit for altruism, like he was doing all of this out of the goodness of his heart. But in fact, these women being enslaved, their entire value would have been based on, on their ability to work and their ability Good to man. reproduce. Reproduce, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and their, 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 um, their use as sexual objects. And so Sims was catering to an audience, to a clientele, not of suffering womanhood, but of plantation owners who were trying to, um, to get out of their investment, as it were, uh, as, mu as much as they could. And so they were oh. willing to, to give these women to Sims for experiments. And of course, they had no ability to say no. And, and so, you know, so it's, it, these, these surgeries are pretty, pretty difficult to hear about. And every aspect of it, consent, anesthesia, every aspect of it is thorny because this particular moment in the history of, of medicine is just like a perfect storm of all of the influences, you know, it's anesthesia is is just coming, being discovered, in 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 uh, in a lot of cases, and um, debates about medical ethics and uh, and 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 surgical experimentation are just beginning at this time, and so um, uh, so it's it is situated perfectly to enable a discussion of all of those things. Yeah, and of course, this was happening throughout the South with a number of doctors. Yeah, I mean, I think it was it was the case that that uh, you know that enslaved people were were getting used for this, 
in a lot of in a lot of instances, Sims was alone though in in how quickly he leapt to human trials and things. Other doctors, even in Montgomery, were disturbed by that, and and and, and subsequently, even in Europe, he was he was criticized for for having done that. It's an amazing book. Say Anarka. J.C. Holman, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much. Author and journalist J.C. Holman speaking with us here on Studio Tulsa. His latest book is titled Say Anarka, A Young Woman, a Devious Surgeon, and the Harrowing Birth of Modern Women's Health. It's published by Henry Holt. Well, that's Studio Tulsa for today. Our program is produced and edited by Scott Gregory. The views of our guests and commentators are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of KWGS or its licensee, the University of Tulsa. I'm Rich Fisher. Thanks for listening. <laughs>